Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom, and welcome to me and you together in a new year. And may God give us the strength to start it up right. Uh, speaking of starting it up right, I am by myself uh, uh, in this part of the show today. Rabbi Mike couldn't make it. Other rabbis I tried to get in touch with. It didn't work out, and it's almost like the one Torah portion I wouldn't want to be on my own is this giant, unbelievable uh, data download of the Torah portion of Bereshit. But here I am. Is it a signal for the new year that we just got to get out there and be strong and do it on our own? Look, um, it's, it's something strange to say, but we are God's creatures. We're never alone. We have our families. We have our friends. We have our loved ones. We always have God. Uh, but there is an essential element of being alone in this world, and that's a problem. And I guess that's that's a great way to start the Torah portion of of Bereshit, which is also about man in the beginning being alone in all of man's challenges. Now, you know that the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshit, starts off in such a way that you have really two versions of creation. First, you have the days of creation, and this is something that, that I didn't kind of know growing up, but then I learned it later on, is that uh, there are six days of creation. The seventh, God created rest, created the Sabbath. But in the six days of creation, interestingly, day one matches day four. Day two matches day five. Day three matches day six. And it starts off like that, that God creates the, the, the light and the darkness on day one. And on the fourth day, he creates the heavens that are in uh, the skies, right? The, the the ones that actually give off those lights. Not the heavens and the skies, the, the, the light-bearing um, vessels that are in the heavens, they are created on the fourth day. So the fourth day kind of fixes up or, or masters or, or takes it to another level. So day one is just general light and darkness. Day four, uh, the moon, the stars, the, and the sun. Day two... Uh, God creates the the heavens, and he creates the waters, and on day five, he creates the animals that um, fit into those waters and into those heavens. He creates the birds and, and, the, and the fish and the various creatures, the creepy crawlies. So God creates basically the stage in day two for these uh, birds and, and fish, and they are populating populating that stage on day five and day three god creates the the earth itself and the trees and the grass and then on the sixth day god creates the mammals and the animals the ones that walk this very earth and of course he creates mankind to be the pinnacle of creation but what we're learning is that the whole set of creation that we're taught in the book of Genesis is really setting up of the stage, light and darkness, and then the vessels that, that, that actually create that, that light and that darkness or signify it, and so to the animals and the things that, that fill the stage that is created. And I think that that's uh, another way to actually understand the first part of the book, uh, the first part of Torah portion of Bereshit, and the second part, which is the first part is that God sets it all up. He sets up the stage. He creates a stage. And that stage is really good. It is, the word good is a recurring truth about the beauty of that stage. And we all know when we go out to nature and we look at animals and things in the heavens, there's something beautiful, something perfect about those things. 
And so the stage, imagine you're, you, you know, you're a stage maker and before the play goes on, you finish up the work of the stage and it's like, wow, that is a great set. So there's a great set uh, that's created for the act. And then the second part of the Torah portion, Breshit, uh, the one that starts telling us about mankind is really, in many ways, the antithesis of that good. Uh, that good is created at first. Uh, it's it's it has it's devoid of human emotions and human follies, and then the minute the action, the play action begins, we're really filled with with a world of, I would say, disappointment. And really, the Torah portion ends with God's disappointment and then glimmer of hope. And and I I decided to call this uh, this show today the Genesis of Nemesis because it's a clever rhyme, but also because um, really what we really are learning in the book of Genesis, in the Torah portion of Bereshit, is disappointment, God's disappointment in, in mankind, and really the, the, the tremendous follies that mon- mankind falls into recurrently. Uh, before I, I get into those follies, let me also say that there is one beautiful thing that God, that God created, which is very important, that's the Shabbos, that's Shabbat. And we have to ponder that for a little bit. What is, what is the seventh day of rest? Why did God create rest? Why is that important? And maybe it's there to tell you that there are, first thing, that there are cycles. There are cycles in our lives. There are cycles in, in death and in life. Uh, and there are cycles in our, in our thing called a week. And we need regeneration. And I can hear Rabbi Mike's voice talking about really the idea that that Sabbath means restarting and that we have a, a chance to start again. And just like we're starting a new year in the Torah portion of Bereshit, we're starting it all up, we have uh, uh, another opportunity every week to kind of re, uh, reignite our lives, start it up, rest up, go back to a certain place of, yes, spiritual exaltation, uh, Sabbath, but also a kind of chaos, a kind of void, and then start to create again uh, on Sunday. By the way, speaking of chaos and void, I forgot to mention uh, two things. One, as I want to thank so much uh, the Land of Israel Network and Ari and Jeremy uh, and this wonderful, wonderful broadcast, uh, you know, light source, this orb of light created uh, during the six days of creation. It was known that the Land of Israel Network would be out there broadcasting to the world and, and showing, uh, showing the great light of God's uh, great vision and, and love. And the other thing I want to also say is that stay tuned. Uh, after my ramblings here about Parshat Bereshit, we will get to the Yishai and Malka half, which has a lot of interesting stuff in store. So stay tuned for that. So um, the Sabbath is this opportunity that we have in our lives to start again. And, and there it is right there. Be- basically, yes, I created a beautiful world. There seems to be no folly, but I've already pre- pre-posted the idea that that there's going, to be, there's going to be a need for regeneration. And maybe, maybe we could see that, uh, that, that the Shabbat is already actually a message of one of the most fundamental things that God created in this world, which is tshuva, which is repentance, which is the ability to restart, which is the ability to, 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 to purify existence once again and, and to, um, well, well, it's, it's the opposite of, of self-destruction, of suicide, of, of, of a, a sense of uh, that there can't, things can't be remedied, things can't be fixed, they are forever destroyed. 
and even when God in next week's Torah portion will make the flood, he's not going to destroy the whole world. He's going to kind of, he's going to shake it up and do a massive kind of Sabbath on it. He's going to bring it back to chaos and then back to existence. But he does not destroy the essential things that he created because he, he leaves them in some kind of capsule of, of data that we'll talk about next week, which is the, the ark. In any case, uh, these two Torah portions are really about the disappointment of mankind and then the glimmers of hope. The Sabbath is a glimmer of hope, of tshuva, of repentance. Chanoch is going to be this, this great righteous person who's taken by God, like Elijah the prophet, and he's going to maybe become an angelic figure. Uh, some uh, The early sources call him an angelic figure called Matatron. Um, and there's a little signal here also about Abraham, who's going to be the real hope for this world, and Noah, which is going to be the intermediary stage to get to Abraham. Th- those are all the hopeful things inside of the Torah portion of Bereshit, which is really, in many ways, a very disastrous Torah portion. The, and, 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 and how do you know that the Torah is so real? Because it starts off with Bereshit, which is this really very challenge-filled, uh, very challenge-filled Torah portion, which really does not show humanity in the best light at all. Um, so, so we get, we get right after the, the end of the, the Sabbath creation, it's told to us that, that these are the products of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that Hashem made earth and heaven. I like it better in Hebrew, Ela Toldot, and I, I really enjoyed Rabbi Eric Levy's explanation that Toldot really means evolutions. These are the evolutions of the heavens and the earth in the day that they were created, when God made heavens and earth. But we have this word called Behi Bar'am, when they were created, Behi Bar'am. And all the commentators tell us that this Behi Bar'am, Behi Bar'am, if you change the letters around, you of course get Be'avraham. The whole world was created for Abraham, who's going to begin the process of redeeming this world or bringing it to the place where it's supposed to go. Now, the famous story is one of the creation of man, that God breathes life, nishmat chaim, he breathes life, that God is able to breathe life and give of himself. Because if you think about it, he's the only thing that's really, really, really alive. Right? God is the only thing that's really, really alive because he's the life giver. Without him, we would not have autonomous life, and that's one of the mistakes that Adam and Eve make. He is the ultimate life giver. He gives us, and then when he gives that, gives us of his life, he also creates a certain amount of autonomy for the human being to exist autonomously. And the strange thing is with that is a sense that we are indeed autonomous creatures with free will and free choice, we're, and we're free to do the ultimate, which is to deny he who gave us that very life. And that's really the problems that we enter uh, when we get into the Garden of Eden. We enter into, into two kinds of uh, heretical thinking, two kinds of heretical thinking. One is, is something that was pointed out to me, and I think I, I talk about it every year, something pointed out to me by, by my good friend Alex Trayman, who explained to me that, that the uh, idea of the snake in the Garden of Eden was to tell Eve 
God just wants to keep power for himself. And therefore, he's told you to have these limitations because he doesn't want you to be like God, knowing good and evil, like God living forever. And he is, God is a kind of um, a bully, a kind of, uh, a kind of authoritarian figure. And that authoritarian figure needs to be challenged and power needs to be usurped from him. And we can just as much as he can. And that he's actually, he has a small, small way of thinking. Uh, he just wants to keep power for himself. Why is this important? Because think, think about the Greek mythology where gods are really these um, really childish, very given to, to base desires, base angers, base emotions. And that's who the gods are. So, so the, the creation story is to show you the folly of that thinking. And the snake is there to tell you, the snake, who's snaky, he's there to tell you, God just wants to keep power for himself. He wants to, he, he created a world, uh, he, he, uh, he's among, no, no, he is amongst you in this world. Yes, there's a creature called God, but he just wants to retain power for himself. You can usurp that power. You could build a tower, you could do whatever you want, but you are like God and you can be like God. And you are equal to God. And if you think about it, really, this is the roots of idolatry, which is idolatry is like God is really very much like me, very understanding of me, and we're in the same league. And he, he also can understand my smallness because he's like me, and he can forgive my smallness, all right? So that's one of the great uh, her, heretical thoughts that come out of the Garden of Eden. And there's another one, which is after Adam and Eve do their sin, they run into the, um, the, the, the park, the tree, the tree-lined forest of, of the Garden of Eden. And then they kind of lie. When God says, you know, where are you? Well, maybe God doesn't know where I am. Well, God knows where you are. He just wants to give you a chance to repent and to confess and to see the error of your ways. But their whole matter of talking is as though they don't understand one thing. God is omniscient. He does see everything that's happening. And that's the second kind of heredity. One is like God is, you know, small-minded and, and, and he wants to keep power for himself and we should take that power back. And the other one is he doesn't really know what's going on. He's like me. He doesn't see past this wall. He doesn't see me hiding in the park. And God is, is not all-knowing and all-seeing. And that is, by the way, if you think about it, thinking about God as all-knowing and all-seeing is kind of scary. Think about your uh, less great moments and just think about God being an audience in one of those moments. It's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. And it's, it's God's eyes are everywhere and, and our, uh, our actions are taken into account. And when we do stupid and horrible things, we are seen, and that is recorded forever. There's only one way to, to erase that, and that is tshuva. And that's why tshuva was created also uh, here in these first days of creation. So uh, the, the Garden of Eden is this place. There's this snake. Uh, who is this talking snake? There are really three talking animals that I have found in the story of uh, in, the, in the Bible. Two are famous, the talking snake and the talking donkey, right? Um, and then there's a third one, which is the talking wolf, where, where really what happened was uh, that, that this is not in the Bible, it's extra biblical, but 
but that Jacob was searching around for his son Joseph and couldn't find him. And his sons told him that, that an animal had eaten him and he saw a wolf. And he said to the wolf, you know, he said to his, to his, to his sons, this is the wolf that killed, killed Joseph. Let's kill him. And then the wolf speaks and says, don't kill me. I'm not even supposed to be here. I lost my son. My son is gone and I'm looking for him everywhere. And that's the only reason why I'm here. I think he might have been killed. I don't know. And Jacob, basically, it is a beautiful midrashic story of a mirror that was held up to Jacob's face. Like, you're in pain? Of course you're in pain. Of course you're in pain. I'm also in pain like you. Don't take it out on me. Don't take it out on creation. But the snake here, he is, uh, unlike that uh, uh, unlike that wolf and unlike the donkey uh, in Bilam who says, like, why are you hitting me? Don't you remember that I've been your, your donkey all this time? Here, the snake is much more, not of a kind of Jiminy Cricket voice of reason, but is a kind, more, much more of a devilish, snakish, amalekish energy in this world that basically wants to shrink God. Oh, God just wants to hold power to himself. He's lying when he says to you, don't eat from this. Look! And he pushes Eve against the tree. She had just said that, that if we touch the tree, we're going to be killed. And he pushes her against the tree. Uh, and, and he says, you see, it's all a lie. God's world is a lie. His word is a lie. And that's the, that's the snake energy. That's the Amalek energy out there. That's the kafira or heretical energy that's in the Garden of Eden. So that's what I mean by the genesis of Nemesis, and that is that really the, the, the basic heretical thoughts of, of mankind uh, are present. And I want to read to you a, a verse that I, I understand a little bit differently than is the norm. Actually, before I get to that verse, one more verse, which is that, the, that there's, there's another obvious major sin category, sin category in in the Garden of Eden, and that is de- desire, lust, uncontrolled lust. <clears throat> and when the woman looks at the tree, it is lusty, it's desirous. And, and that want and desire is another. We were, we're basically taught that mankind has these very basic flaws, right? Her- her- heresy, want and desire, and of course we'll get to the story of Cain, which is, which is anger and violence. So those, those are the main categories, right? Those are the main categories of evil. Heredity, her, her, heretical thoughts, uh, want and desires, and violence, right? Th- those, are, those are the main things. And if you think about it, this is exactly what it says in Pirkei Avot. It says, uh, Jealousy, Want and desire and honor take a person out of uh, uh, out of existence, and here we have jealousy is what spawned the violence of Cain and Hevel, right? That that Cain kills Hevel because of jealousies. Uh, honor, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, uh, the the want and desire, the desire is the want and desire in the Garden of Eden for the fruit of the Garden of Eden, and honor is, ironically, the honor that you take away from God and give to yourself. That is heresy. Heresy is, 
in large measure a great self-worth, an overinflated self-worth and not enough self-worth for God. So heresy and honor and self-aggrandizement are tied into one another. Okay, so those three categories, which is kinah, jealousy, that's what, that's what fueled the, the violence, tava, that's what fueled the eviction from the Garden of Eden, and kavod, which is the basic heresy that, that existed in the Garden of Eden, it really stems from, from a sense of, of inflated honor. So those are the things that are in there. And I wanted to read to you w- one interesting verse, and it goes like this. Uh, God says to, after they hide in the, in the woods, in, in the woods of the garden, God says to him, God, God called out uh, to Adam and says, where are you? Now, where are you is as a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, it's really the deepest thing in the world, which is God saying to, to, to Adam, where have you fallen to? What happened to you? And that also means I, in, in that word is, is a connotation of where are you? You could be and should be in a different place. And I will give you a chance to the tshuva, just repent, confess and repent. But on the other side of that coin, the other side of that sword is, look, God doesn't know where I am. So I can get away with it. I can get away with, with, with sins because he doesn't know. And that's exactly, that's exactly the, the, the dichotomy. Does God know? Oh, he knows everything. He's just giving you a chance. Don't be fooled by, by God's invisibility. Don't be fooled by his asking you, where are you? He's, the, he's reaching out his hand to you and saying, come, come back to me, my son and daughter. And that's what he's saying to Adam. And then listen to this. The next verse says, Vayomer et kolcha shemati bagan. It says, I heard your voice in the, in the, in the park, in, in the Garden of Eden, in the garden, and I saw that I was naked, and I hid. And that is understood to mean that, that Adam says, I heard you coming, I heard your voice walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was now naked, but naked also means that I have sinned, I have, I have become uh, um, uh, cl- too clever. That's what naked also means. Erom also means a kind of cleverness. Vechaben, I hid. I hid from you, God. But I want to read this verse in a, in a completely other way, which is, maybe it's a continuation of the previous verse, which God says to mankind, and he says to, where are you? And then God continues and says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I saw that I, God, was now naked to you because of your new understandings, because, because, because you, your eyes have actually, your eyes that have become defiled can't see me anymore, and therefore I am not clothed anymore, I'm hidden. Or that you, underst- that you in your eyes, you think that I am tricky when I'm in fact am. am, am and giving you all the truths and, and telling you how to simply live my life, and I hid. God says, I hid from you. I hid from you forever. I hid away from mankind. That is the reality. And God is going to uh, make clothing for Adam and Eve, but not for himself. He will be forever, maybe till the times of Messiah and the times of the, uh, the, times of the resurrection of the dead. He is hidden. He is hidden. He has become 
on on scene to us, and we have to find them all the time. And the ayak goes the other way, which is God, where are you? We 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 know you're here, but we search out for you, and we want to get closer to you. And that man, uh, the greatest feeling that a man or woman can have, a person can have, is the closeness of God. And those little moments when God sends that signal to you that he's close to you, there's no greater joy than those things. But from here on, he became hidden to us. And from here on, uh, there's the eviction from the Garden of Eden. And God places uh, a cherub in front of the Garden of Eden to block its entrance. And these are the same cherubs that are, that are, uh, that are depicted at the entrance to the Holy of Holies. And there are, these angelic figures are depicted in many ways. And uh, that's understood that really the Holy of Holies is getting back to the Garden of Eden. And coming back to the land of Israel is humanity's, is certainly the Jewish people's, but also humanity's beginning of, of great redemption. We're, we are living in a time where humanity is on the verge of a, of a redemption, and that is through God revealing himself through the ingathering of the exiles. The, in, the ingathering of the exiles itself is a great revelation of God's promise and God's hand in history. And so if God feels that it's time for him to reveal himself through the obvious revelation of the ingathering of the exiles, not obvious to all, but obvious to some, certainly not obvious to the snakes who want us to continue to have a heresy, uh, but that revelation is happening in our time and we have to see that as obvious. Next is the jealousy of, uh, of Cain, who murders Hevel. Hevel means really uh, mist or, or something that comes and goes very quickly, like a smoke that dissipates. Hevel, we never really hear from Hevel. We never, we never know from Hevel, but he uh, uh, is, his brother, Cain, is the first person to be born by, from a human mother. That first person to be born is the first person to murder. So here again, what a, what, what a, what a powerful... Um, um, f- uh, manifestation of of man's inner lusts, greeds, violence. Uh, then this story of of the jealousy of kind to his brother and and his brother's murder. And though he is his neshama, his soul kind of dissipates away. His bloods call out from the earth. Another very powerful thing, the earth swallows, it opened its mouth to swallow the blood of your brother and it's calling out. There's another truth here, which is I gave of my soul to your bodies, says God. And now when you murder the soul that's contained in the blood, it yells out to me from the ground. Like there's suddenly it's not an ephemeral world at all. It's a very, very tactile, very physical world. And if you kill, that blood calls out. It has a voice. It has a voice. That's an interesting thing, right? Think about that. The snake has a voice, right? The snake has a voice, and the snake is the, the evil inclination, and so does the neshama that calls out uh, from the ground when, it, when, when the blood is spilled. It's got a voice. We may not be able to hear it, but it's got a real voice. Then after the kind and Hevel story, we have uh, the generations that led all the way up to Noah. And just want to pause on one generation, and that is Chanoch. Chanoch uh, is taken by God. He lives a, a relatively short amount of time. His name, by the way, in English is Enoch, but we say Chanoch, right? And Chanoch, he um, was taken by God 
into the upper worlds. Some people say, like Rashi says, that, that he was about to sin again. God didn't want to see this righteous man sin. But one of the important ideas is that he, this, there's a man who's taken up, and then later on it's kind of considered that he became an angel. And I like, I like that maybe this is a, a pre-mention of Elijah the prophet, right? Elijah the prophet, uh, this idea that, that a righteous man who can't fix his world at his time has to be taken into the heavens, and he's there in order to be able to fix things uh, later on down the line. And that's the idea of, of Elijah the prophet. Let's read the final verses in Parshat Bereshit. Vayar Hashem ki adam ba'aretz. God saw that that man's evil was much upon the earth. Vechol yetzer machshavot libo, and all uh, his uh, the, the thoughts of his heart. Rak ra kol hayom are only evil the whole day. Vayinachem Hashem. And God regretted that he made man on earth and was saddened onto his heart. Can you believe that God allowed this verse to be the first one of the first, you know, first, Torah, first verses in, in the first Torah portion? The, the last verses of the first Torah portion. Can you believe that it's in the Torah? It says that God was disappointed in the in, in the man that he had made, and he, he was saddened onto his heart. He was crestfallen. This world is, is no good. That is a verse in our Torah. And it says, I will destroy, God said, I will destroy the man that I created from the face of the earth, from man, to to mammal to animal, adremes v'adofa shemaim onto the uh, uh, the creeping things into the birds of the sky, for I have kinichamti kiasitam for I have reconsidered I am disappointed that I have made them, and then the final verse, just the greatest of dramatic winks, like stay tuned. It says v'noach matzachen be'inei Hashem v'noach matzachen be'inei Hashem. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. So wait a minute. Like, I, that's it. I'm done with this world. This world's erased. I'm, it's over. Bad experiment. Gone wrong. No big deal. You know, I can start again if I, if I so choose. But, but, but a glimmer of hope remains. There is something else out there, it seems. God, while he is willing to destroy the world, not totally, because there is hope yet. There is Noah, he has found favor in the eyes of God, and he will lead to the generations that lead up to Abraham. I love it. I, lo- I love that ending, right? It's like, it's like the, whole, the whole book, you know, start, it starts with, with uh, Beresh, it starts with this, you know, you know wonderful passages of, of the world is good, I've set the stage, and then man comes around, and he's messing it up, and he's messing it up, and he's messing it up, and things are being messed up, and there's violence, and there's jealousy, and there's heresy, and then, and then uh, that's it. I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this world. But Noach found favor in God's eyes. There is a vision for something to get through this world. And now, also understand that now we understand uh, what Abraham, what the Jewish people are supposed to be about. They are a glimmer of hope in a dark world. That's the setup. The world is dark. There is evil. There is jealousy. There is desire. There's all these things. They are really out there. They're not fake. It's not a perfect world. 
And maybe that's where some people also make a mistake. The Torah is setting it up. The world is imperfect. And it's dark. And there's bad out there, real bad. And that's actually the real nature of man every day, all the time. And within that, there is a proverbial silver lining. There is hope. And that hope is Abraham. And that, that hope is Noah. That hope is Abraham. And that hope is Israel. Uh, that hope is King David. That hope is Elijah the prophet. That hope is Mashiach. And it's a theme that runs through uh, the, the darkness. There is a glimmer of light, that one candle that can light up the whole room. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. Uh, again, thanks to the Land of Israel Network. Thanks to our good friends at Tchelet, which make the blue, true blue uh, silver lining, blue lining within your tzitzit. Uh, that's T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T. And our good folks at Chevron. We're going to talk more about that in the next half. Uh, we have an opportunity to connect with the mothers and fathers, with those people who give the world a silver lining. And indeed, yet again, they are surrounded by a dark world that wants to destroy them. We won't let them. Uh, so stay tuned for, for me chatting about that with Maka Fleischer on the Yishai Fleischer Show here in the land of Israel. God, thank you for getting us started on the book of Bereshit and starting off the new year. May we have strength to honor your great name and do great things and connect with your great story, which is also happening live right now in the land of Israel as your great promises are coming to fruition. Stay tuned, folks. More great stuff is on the way. Malka Fleischer joins me in just a second. Shalom. Victorious warriors win first and then go to war, says Sun Tzu, while defeated warriors go to war first and then seek to win. Well, I don't know if I'm at war, but I'm definitely seeking victory on the behalf of God, and I feel like if that can come about then we'll all be winners. Because I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is The Jewish Story. Join Rav Mike Foyer for the best Jewish history podcast, The Jewish Story, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Judea. To the world, you're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome to the co-hostess, show's hostess with the mostess. Shalom, Malka. Thank you, Ishai. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us, Malka. And today is uh, considered the first day of the rest of our lives in that the kids went back to school after the Chagim, uh, after the holidays. So they're back. They're so happy about it, too. No, they're not. They hate and detest every minute of it. They don't. Well, they kind of like it, but they, they will never say that out loud. They kind of like it when they're already forced to be right. Once they're the school, in their clothes, right. in their shoes, with their backpack, having brushed their teeth, got, eaten their breakfast at the door of the school, then they're like, okay. What our what our young daughter does not yet know is that because of her upcoming birthday, mm-hmm. we will be taking her out of school for a day and a half with the rest of the family and Bezrat Hashem going for last licks at the beach. Yes, the beach. I'm so excited Because we still have beach weather here in Israel. Yes. In case you were thinking about where to live for the rest of your life. That's right. We're still having beach weather. That's right. So we are still, uh, we hope, let's hope that it doesn't have like... Yeah, suddenly rain. A week of frost or something like that. I mean, that could be interesting. Then we'll just go to the Hermon. Yes. That will be fun too. We'll do like some sledding. But we're already booked at the beach. But okay, any case, uh, the kids are back in school. Sunday, they'll be back for their first actual week. Um, and you know, with the kids being in school, I was looking forward so much to it. Here's, here's an important Hebrew word for everybody. Shigra. Shigra. What is that? How do you translate that, Malka? Uh, like 
regularly scheduledness. Right. Uh, wait, there's a better word for that. There's a better word for that. Regular scheduled behavior. Shigra. Uh, Shigra. Like the the the. Are you guys learning a lot right now? <laughs> <laughs> routine. Routine. That's the word. It came to me. It came to me. Routine. Routine. I didn't even ask Papa Google for that. Okay. So it's routine. In any case, um, so so as they have returned to routine, so have we. But let us take a, a moment, Malka, and just recall some of the highlights over the past uh, long schedule of holidays, which included Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and then Sukkot. But within Sukkot, first holiday of Sukkot, Cholamoed Sukkot, and Hoshana Rabbah Sukkot. I will tell you that, that I had uh, two special experiences. One is hearing the, uh, praying the Shlomo Katz, Hoshana Rabbah, Rabbi Shlomo Katz, and a great musician and great rabbi, and his special uh, halal that I attended here in Efrat. That was actually an awesome moment. And I also saw with you a fabulous musician that you and I had wanted to see for, for a long time, and that is uh, we saw a concert that included Benny Friedman, who sings Yesh Tikva, la 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 la. And... and uh and um, right, right. And that's uh, that's a great song. It's a great pop song, great Hasidic, Hasidic pop song. Say that three times fast, Hasidic pop song. And he's actually a nephew of Avram Fried. Our beloved Avram Fried, who we love so much. That's awesome. Although, by the way, I want to tell you, I a little bit missed, I got to see Shlomo Katz. I got to see Benny Friedman. I got to see uh, uh, Lipa. Lipa, we saw Lipa, and our little son got his little picture taken with Lipa, and I didn't think he would ever go in the shower again because Lipa touched his shoulder. And Lipa was wearing super weird glasses. Super weird. A humongous, tall. Giant. The most amazing strimal that I've ever seen. It was so, the hairs were so independently tall. (laughs) At the very tip there. That is weird, but awesome. Uh, But there's one man that I missed a little bit over the holidays. I missed... A little, um, oh, just his name just just ex- escaped my head. I missed a little Shweki. Shweki. We haven't seen Shweki in too long. That's what I'm saying. We've seen Avram Fried we like twice. We love Shweki. I miss Shweki. But but any case, one one other musician that we got to see, which was very very special for both you and I, that was seeing Yehoram Gaon, Israel's famous musical bard recently parentheses i say that i met one of the uh, people who lives here in Efrat, a person who's made aliyah like five years ago to israel and i mentioned yohoram go and he's like who's that and and uh i was amazed that he didn't know it's like not knowing who's abraham lincoln something like that in israel he's like a really 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 famous singer and from actor, like the old days and, and an actor and he won the israel prize he's right. like such a you know you're like, going. That's like Israel. Yeah. Equal sign, state of Israel. Right. Here I'm going. So, so Tom Hanks. Right. Exactly. Tom Hanks. Exactly. Uh, apple pie. Uh, what? George yes, Washington. I think they know. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 uh, but you and I got to see this legend, this living legend play. It was a very interesting story. We went down to Rehovot, where my sister, God bless her, lives. And we went to this outdoor concert, free open outdoor concert. And we got there, and everything we heard, uh, we heard Benny Friedman open up for Yoram Gon, which was funny because the crowd there came for Yoram Gon. The crowd there, the average age was 65, 70, 
and they were all Yehoram Gaon people who knew well, every song. There was Ishai. You you had your eyes on that crowd. It was an interesting. It was an interesting crowd because there were really two groups. There were the religious people with little children, right, and there were the fifty-five plus Israelis, like regular Israelis, you know, in regular secular type clothing of just nice regular people right and these two groups they don't hang so often right right they, they don't listen to the same you music yeah so so i i'll be honest with you I, not to start with disappointment i was secretly hoping that benny friedman and yeharam gaon would do something together yes but that didn't happen what first it was benny friedman he opened for yeharam gaon which already tells you how big yeharam gaon is because benny friedman himself is like a whole act but anyway, so Benny Friedman played and like our kids got to hear the songs that they like and also some utterly obscure Yiddish songs that I've never, ever heard in my whole life. Uh, but they were great and he was great. But I you just, could see but, already but, that yeah, when he y- came y- in, y- there was like a little Yiddish in Rehovot. Yeah, it was just like, huh. And the, and the Israeli <laughs> crowd was like, hmm. I've never heard this. All right. Mm-hmm. And there was like, there were some people who were just kind of like mouths agape. And there were other, there were other so cute Israelis who are like tapping their leg. They're like nodding their head. They're trying to get into it. They're like trying to get into it because this is not what they came for. They came for a totally different kind of music. Okay. So then, 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 so Benny Friedman comes on and it's, um, it's a good concert, but as he comes on, like there was already a mic, some kind of a mic problem a little bit and it like slowed them down. That's right. There was anyway, he did his set and it was good. And then the, the Rehovo people come on and they're like, and now... Here he is. The, you know, Israel Prize, Chatan, Pras Israel, Yeram Gaon. Everyone's like, woo, Yeram Gaon, right? Finally, all the, the 55 plusers come alive. And a lot of the, uh, we stayed, right? And a lot of the religious people stayed, but a lot of people with little kids uh, left for home because they got their Yiddish fix already. And Yeram Gaon comes in and he starts singing. Nothing. Nothing's coming out Nothing of his mic. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. And he's, you know, he's like in his 70s, I want to say. At maybe least. maybe his 80s. Yeah. I really don't know. I didn't I need to google that. But he's like up he's, you know, singing is one of those things where like it doesn't improve over time. It gets harder over time to to reach high notes and stuff. And if you've ever tried to listen to John Bon Jovi recently, we'll know that it's a practically impossible to hit the high notes. And they always like make the crowd sing the high notes as if we all think that they're doing us a favor, but really they're just trying to avoid the high notes. <laughs> anyway, so um, he, he like nothing's coming out. Nothing's coming out. He's tapping the mic. He's like yelling out to the tech people. Now, this is my first experience. I was very excited because I've been in Israel for 15 years and Yehoram Gaon is like such a thing that I felt like I, I needed to, to like Israelify a little bit more and have seen Yehoram Gaon one time in my life. So I'm like, oh no, right? This is not going well. And the music stops. Everything stops. Not in like a, we've totally got this way, but in a like, oh no, this is all falling apart. So then the tech guys go on, they're like, one, two, one, two. You know what I mean? What they do? Echad, time, echad, time. Tapping, tapping, tapping. In the meantime, Yehoran Gaon in his like leisure suit or whatever it is that he's wearing is like just standing there. Now, this is a big, this is like one of the biggest guys. Everyone knows Yehoram Gaon, and he's just standing there. And in my head, I'm like, this is it. 
I've missed it. We can just get in the car. This is not happening. And at some point, he walks off. The stage. The stage. And I'm like, now he's mad. We have angered Yehoram Gaon. <laughs> we, have, we have broken his That's ego. That's it. Like, I just, I'm never going to hear Yehoram Gaon. Right. And this whole crowd's going home. Yeah. And he's like, he knows what a big guy he is. You know what I'm saying? He came out to Rehovot. Right. And he's playing this thing. And like, it's such a big deal that like, surely he's offended by what's just happened. It's so unprofessional here and everything. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. We're waiting. 20 minutes at least i think it was more it could have been half it could have yeah, been, been half, half an hour, an hour yeah. we and everyone's just sitting there right now now that one thing they didn't do is they did not let us know what was going on and at that point you started saying to me and i was thinking maybe he like we like right like, i was sure that he's done i'll tell you what happened years ago that he's just like fed up with this years ago i was at an event and an important vip knesset member didn't get parking and he was supposed to speak at this event didn't like get special parking, parking good special parking. parking and he turned around and left and that always i was always like amazed by by the haughtiness of that but also like that that could happen like a star if you don't treat him right they could totally turn around and just get out of right, there you know about divas you know what i'm yeah, saying divas. maybe your gaon is like another mariah carey like who knows i don't who know who knows I, I, who knows? I don't know. You know who's Mariah Carey? I mean, I know she is, but I, I don't know why okay, she... Okay, so you don't know, but all the rest of us. Okay. I'm just talking to all of us over here, okay. not you. Okay, so anyway, okay. so I was thinking to myself, oh no, he may have left. At that point, I became, here's another Hebrew word, sakran. Well, it's not wait, just... Wait, oh, wait, sorry. Yeah, sakran, sakran means... We're teaching. Curious. Yes, curious. I was sakran. I had sakranut. Curiosity. Curiosity. And I was like, what is going on here? And then I saw that standing, there was a pile of people standing... Close, a, uh, a group of people standing like like huddled together close to overlooking the backstage area and i could tell by their faces from a distance that they were the kind of people who were in the know ah uh, insiders insiders not no they weren't insiders they were the kind of nosy people uh, who knew yes, what was going good. on so i left you in the seats and i ran over there and i said to them maulechpo What's, yeah, going, what's on going on here? Because we're in Rehovot. Now, we live in Judea, which is far from Rehovot. Rehovot is closer to the beach, closer to Tel Aviv. And we live closer to Jerusalem, south of Jerusalem. So we also, like, we had our little kids there. And it's Sukkot. You want to kind of maximize your time. You don't want to be sitting there in the, in the, you know, in the park in a chair just, like, looking at your fingernails and wondering what's going on. You want to, you know, I could bring my kids home and put them to sleep. I don't have to wait here forever. So we needed to know what's up. I just also wanted to know, did he did he leave? That's what I wanted to know. Did he leave? Is he still there? We had a feeling of dread. We had a feeling of dread. I walked over there, and I'm like, what's going on? The guys are like, guys, I'm like, hey, guys, what's going on? They're like, technical problem. They're, they're getting a wire from somewhere. I'm like, okay. And then I look around, and there I saw him standing backstage, just talking with people, chatting, and, and basically being patient. And interestingly, I noticed that he was looking at the crowd. From backstage, just looking at the crowd. There he was. Here I'm going. So first thing, immediately my feelings were totally ameliorated. And, and we had and not drawn the wrath of Yehoram Gaon. That's right. And and our 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 dread fears were 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 wrong. It turned out that he was patiently waiting, like the rest of us. Right. So finally, they get the wire. Well, then I ran over and I told yes, you, Mark, you I was like, me, he's yes. there. And I felt sheepish. And then he got the then he got they got the wire and they fixed everything and he came back on and he performed his first song, Eretz Nehederet, talking about our like wonderful land, right? That's a fam- one of his yes, hello, wonderful land. It's like a one of his famous songs, okay? Right. One of many famous. One songs. of many, but that's one of his like famous songs. 
and he's he finishes the song and then he's like i just want you guys to know i was looking at you guys backstage and how patient you were and no one raised a ruckus and rehovot is such a wonderful town and we really do have a Eretz Nehederet. We really do have a, a wonderful land. And everyone's like, clap, 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 clap. Everyone's so happy. And I was many things at that moment. One, <laughs> I was happy because I was listening to Yehoram Gaon at last. Two, I felt horrible about myself because I'm such a bad Jew and I was, I was judging another Jew unfavorably and not just any Jew, but Yehoram Gaon. Okay, I was judging him in, not favorably. And three, I was like, phew, I'm not wasting all my Sukkot time. So I was also relieved. <laughs> and then he, then he sang his, he sang that and he sang a bunch of other songs. And interspersed in the songs were all these stories that he told. And he, um, his stories were really about, the stories he told anyway there were really a lot about Israeli soldiers, experiences that he had um, with Israeli soldiers during wartime, during some of our most, uh, pinnacle war periods including 1967 he told this great story (coughs) excuse me he told this great story about how he was uh like he was in jerusalem performing for soldiers during the 67 six-day war and all of a sudden he's he's singing talking to the soldiers right and this is something that he would do a lot and all of a because sudden, because he was an army singer, because he was an army singer, but also he even wasn't a performer then yet. He was, he was, he was, he was. But I'm saying he was in the army. That's what he did as a service. He was an army musician, right? They but even that. later, he he dedicated himself to like performing for soldiers, and it was, it's been a cause of his, um, really his whole life. But anyway, he, it's it's 67. He came to perform and and uh, provide morale to the soldiers, and all of a sudden, everyone disappears, and he's like wondering like is a rocket about to fall is there some kind of attack like where did everyone go and he's like you know i thought this was funny he's like you know i am i know i'm just a singer but like take me with you you know what i mean like don't let me get killed over here in the in the middle of the thing and he looks around and he sees that it's not an attack at all but in fact harav goran the famous rav goran the rabbi goran rabbi goran uh chief rabbi of the idf had shown up with bags of psalms to heal him little 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 to heal him books and he was passing them out to the soldiers and the soldiers were all every soldier it didn't matter where they were from what their background was how religious they uh were on their day-to-day life they were all packing their their uniforms full of these to and that some of them were doing it so they could have a copy of to but that he felt that they were doing it as like a divine protection, like putting on this, like like divine body armor, right? That it was some kind of an armor that would protect them. And my guess is that they were right. Um, and he was very moved by by that image of Rav Goren, who was also he was such a grand figure for for everyone, and such a like a fatherly figure for for soldiers at that time. Um, and he anyway he played his songs, and he even the the concert was supposed to end at eleven. There's a noise ordinance that makes it that concerts are typically supposed to end at 11 o'clock in most cities in Israel. And he, there's police and like, uh, you know, providing security in the area. And he looks at them. He's like, can we keep going? Cause the concert en- like started so late. Can we keep going? And I was like, I was floored by that. Cause here you have like not a young man who was possibly embarrassed by a little bit of technical difficulty at the beginning of the show. And like, you know, he's being paid for, 
his 11 uh, until 11 o'clock show but no like he wanted to give the audience their show and he was like one of us and he just kept going and we ended up leaving before he was done because we had to get home and it was very very late and uh, I was just so thoroughly impressed uh, and I was very impressed also I, it was it was so beautiful to see these Israelis like singing his songs and you could tell that they were all united in these times and memories and songs that he was singing and and that they looked up to him but not as not like we're taught in western culture to look up to these celebrities where celebrities are like so high and they're they're like you know they're they're so untouchable it's like Yoram Gaon was like the most touchable and he as an Israeli celebrity felt a responsibility to Mm -hmm. the people who loved him and that was very very touching to me and like gave me a taste of the of the real Israel that everyone talks about that that amazing real grounded Israel yeah which in which uh you know the old kibbutz Israel where like everyone's equal and uh, I really, I was really very moved by the show and I enjoyed the music and I enjoyed the scene and I'm really glad we went. Great job retelling that, Malka. And I just want to uh, also add one more part of that concert and that is there's a song that uh, that Yoram Gon sang. I think somebody else wrote it. Uh, and it's a song that I've always liked and it's about the Entebbe Mission, the, the raid on Entebbe, the Miftai Yonatan, Operation Thunderbolt, Operation Jonathan. And it's the rescue of the, the hostages from Entebbe in 1976. Famous story of Israeli heroism and cleverness. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and it was just, a, and, and God's, you know, uh, and the, the strong hand that God provides the Jewish right. people, all that together. Great story. Amazing story. And he had a song about that. And the song is very powerful. The song is like they woke up in the middle of the night. It's called Eretz Tzvi. Eretz Tzvi. And, and it's like they, they woke up in the middle of the night and they flew out to, what's the word that he uses? To, to, to fight for the honor of mankind. To, to protect the honor of mankind. I always thought that there was such a brilliant understanding of what, what that story is about. Which is not the story of protecting Jews. We protect each other. Blah blah blah. But it's like it's it, and it ties. Well, it is in. that story? Yes, yes. But on the uh, the the first verse of that of that song is like this is about the honor of mankind. Like, are we going to let dishonorable, evil, dark forces be the controllers of this world? Because that's what those terrorists wanted. They didn't want just to murder Jews and all that. They wanted to. To be like, we can hijack airplanes, we can do horrible things. Right, the anarchy. World, right, well, the world will comport to our thing, you know. And the song starts out. Anyway, so he's singing all these other songs. You hear I'm going to sing all these other songs. And then he stops and he goes like this. He goes, you know, folks, I want to sing a song. Some people, some of you may think it's a sad song. I think it's not a sad song, but it's an important song. Anyway, so he stops. The concert kind of says, I, I want to sing this, this song. And I know some of you might think it's sad, but I but I don't think it's sad. And then and then to me, and and he's like, this is an important song. This is he says, this is important. This is about you know what Israel is really about, and this is what you know how we have to behave towards our brothers, and 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 this is also, and he he kind of, I I've always liked that song. I've always thought yeah, that song it's is important. One of the super most classic Israeli songs ever. Yes, but you know what? 
I didn't know if everybody thinks that way, and I certainly didn't know if it was just a song that he sang. But the fact that he actually stopped and was like, listen, concert, I'm going to sing the song. It's a tough song, but it's important. And that's the way he actually made it. I was like... Well, it's not light. You know, a lot of his songs are like kind of right. nice. That's you right. know what I'm saying? And this song's not nice. It's like, it's intense. And the truth is, Ishai, if you think about it, like the people who are listening to that concert, those 55 and up Israelis, they've been through it. You right. know what I mean? They, they like, they live through the kind of pain that he knows it will bring up. Right. And he doesn't want to hurt them, I guess. Yeah. But I was very happy because the minute he already just talked about that song as an important song, I was like, I w- there was a certain part of my mind that was relieved where I thought to myself, oh, good. So it's not just like a thing that's my thing in my heart. Oh. It, it, it's like this, is a, this was a big deal to him, to me, to, to the others, and this does deserve a kind of thing, this right. song and this memory. So I was ready That's there. one of my favorite Yohara right. Goen songs. I know, but not everybody... It's not as kind of big as you think. It's oh, like, really? It, yeah, the, the other songs and the lighter songs are much Rosa, more famous. Rosa, Rosa, right. Rosa, Rosa. Right. So, so, um, so I was very happy about that. Then he sang the song. You know what? I'm going to ask our beloved Ben Bresky, uh, engineer extraordinaire, to put in right now this song, uh, Eretz Tzvi, and you'll you'll hear the the first. Uh, Notes, Bachatzi Halayla Hemkamu, and this idea of Lashivat Kvod Adam to return the, uh, the honor of, of mankind to its rightful place. So I'll ask Ben Bresky to put in the song right here, and we'll, and we'll be back right after the song. Asher 
אל ארץ אל פרש שדותיה, אל הכרמל והמדבר, אל עם אשר לא יחשב, שאת בניו לא יפקיר לשר, אל ארץ שדמעותיה נושרות על שדה חמניות שעצבונה וששונה הם שתי בערב בבגד So there you go that was that was uh, that's the good stuff right there that's the good stuff that's very meaningful stuff uh, it's sweet and and then okay and then it was like wow whew, wow that was emotionally satisfying that was really deep that was really true wow that really touched me and then he goes Yoram Gon does this and this all happened in Rehovot from Mak and I an experience that we had at a concert which was important to us to go to he goes Yoram Gon this, this great bard of Israel says You know what folks those were real those were real heroic times but in Israel we have other we have incredible heroes throughout the generations including Roe Klein and he goes on to tell the story about Roe Klein and the second Lebanon war where a grenade was thrown in into a, a, a house that his in Lebanon where his company was was situated that the grenade went in and Roe Klein yelled out to Shem, the commander of this company yelled out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, and jumped on the grenade and swallowed up the explosion that also killed him. And, and he talked about that, and then he goes, and he goes, you know, there are still heroes in and Israel. And he saved everyone in the and room. he saved everybody in the room. And Yoram Gon says, you know, and here, I, I missed a part, I understand who wrote it, but somebody wrote, uh, some important person wrote another stanza. I want to say it's the writer of the song. I think so too. I think so too. The writer of the song was so moved by Roe Klein that she like added another added stanza. another stanza, and then he like launches into it, in, in, and suddenly the, the he orchestra- takes a piece of paper out of his jacket pocket. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Yeah, and he unfolds it, and he's he's like reading it off the paper. Wow, that's amazing. And he's and the orchestra kicks in or whatever the musicians kick in, and they sing another as though the song didn't stop. And everyone's like holding it oh in. Oh my gosh! It was hard. It was hard. But it was and amazing. It was, and that was I was like I was like what the thing about Yoram Gon is he really he really understands the soul of Israel, and the soldiers and the heroism in those times. And he continues to send that through. And basically, basically, and he kind of said it. He's the anti-cynic. It's the opposite of cynicism of the, what you see in the news and all the stuff that tells you that it's all, it's all junk and everybody's corrupt and all that kind of stuff. He's like, no, we have a great land and, uh, and we have great heroes, heroism in this land. So it was, it was a great concert. And, and you said something that was, I, I just want to fix something. You're right. We did leave before the end, but w- where our car was parked, where we drove, we got to hear the very last yes, song. We got to hear the last song. And it was just, it was, it was also, you know, the big moon. Rehovot Israel, kind of the real Israel place. It was, it was, a, beautiful, uh, it was a beautiful concert. So, Mark, thanks so much for, yes. for, uh, for organizing that. That was really great. All right. Um, let's, let's talk about a, a different kind of music. Let's add one more uh, layer to our discussion today. 
And that is what's going on in the news. One story that you found, which I think is absolutely fascinating, it's the story of um, uh, of uh, John Bolton. Is it John Bolton or is it your uh, musician friend over there? It's not Michael Bolton. Right. I've made oh. that mistake too many times. So I know. I know. I told, right before the show, you said to me, you mentioned Michael Bolton. I'm like, is this a Freudian slip or something? Like, <laughs> I was telling you, I love, I'm like, I love Michael Bolton. <laughs> I'm like, what? And then I'm like, John Bolton, John Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, stuck in the 90s. I mean, John Bolton is a uh, I mean, he's a lookalike of Mark Twain. Have you ever noticed that? He's like a Mark, he's like a Mark Twain lookalike. He is a, to me he I is a throwback. I wonder why I inherently trusted him. He is a throwback. He is a throwback. There's something about him is that I have heard him many, many times give many talks. And every time I'm like, poof, this guy not only is this guy sharp, but he gets it. That's what that's what the thing about him which I always liked, which is I, I thought he gets it. And now, um, if you heard the, the, the President Trump speech at the UN, President Trump articulated something that they want to downgrade their participation even more in the, uh, in the International Court of Justice, the ICJ. And they're basically, he said, we don't believe in, listen carefully, we don't believe in globalism. When it comes to globalism, what we're talking about is global government. Now, globalism in this case doesn't mean uh, 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 you know, international trade. What it means specifically is global governance, where there right, is like one world a, government. One world government. And he said, President Trump said, "I reject globalism. We reject the theory of globalism in favor of 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 the uh, theory of patriotism, which is another way of saying." And he was careful not to say it, nationalism. Okay. Well, Wait, na- nationalism has negative connotations in America. Today. Sadly, it does. That's exactly that's why he didn't use it. But here's the here's the point. We are all participating in a global phenomenon. There's no stopping the internet. There's no stopping international trade and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that we eviscerate the borders between our nations. It doesn't mean we get rid of our cultures, our identities, our our national uh, inclinations, uh, religious rights, uh, languages, calendars, and things like that. Okay, we're in a we're in a world that is that is like in the same room, and we can trade with Mongolia if we want to. Okay, faraway places, but that doesn't mean that we get rid of our own identities. And that's basically what what. Uh, and he said another thing. He said he said it was so funny. It was one of these Trumpian Trumpian things. He says says America is governed by Americans. Right. And there's there's a simple truth right, the, to that. It's so it's so simple and awesome. Right, so simple and awesome which is like it's like it's like I'm not about to give up my sovereignty and my sense of justice to you. <laughs> Euro trash. Okay, I'm not doing that, all right? I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not going to give up my courts is my understanding to you somewhere sitting in in Den Haag in The Hague. No thanks. And, and, and that is so important. And that leads right into this story with John Bolton. Right. Not Michael Bolton. Okay. Yes. Yeah. John Bolton. Okay. John okay. Bolton. Okay. Go ahead. John Bolton. Okay. Go ahead. What's the story? The Trump administration is pulling out of an amendment to the Vienna Convention. Okay. To keep Palestinians from suing the U.S. government at the ICJ in The Hague. Okay. Here's the quote, okay? Uh, John Bolton spoke to reporters at the White House on Wednesday. He goes... The president has decided that the United States will withdraw from the optional protocol and dispute resolution to the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations. This is in connection with a case brought from the so-called state of Palestine, naming the United States as a defendant, challenging our move of our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. 
The U.S. is going to stay in the Vienna Treaty, but it's going to review all international agreements, which you were alluding to before, that could expose the United States to ICJ oversight. Basically, the United States doesn't feel that it wants to be tried in this international court, court of justice. I'll say it Jewishly. They don't hold from the international court of justice. They don't hold by it. They don't hold by it. Yeah. They don't believe that they will be given justice in the international court of justice. No, no, no. They don't believe that the, and the they don't want court it. of justice has a right to judge. Right. This is not an elected body, not elected by them. Right. It is it is not a body that has a police power that is elected by them. Right. And cetera, it's not governed by American laws right. and all these things. And like why should I give up right. my sovereignty? Which to you? which is who which says is sensical. You know, who says you know right and wrong? I'm not going to I'm not, I don't agree or what that. or what colors your decisions. Right. Right. Our actions today deal with the treaties and current litigation involving the United States before the International Court of Justice. Given this history and Iran's abuse of the ICJ, we will commence a review of all international agreements that may still expose the United States to purported binding jurisdiction and dispute resolution in the ICJ. Okay, but this specific case, let's let's make it clear, Malka, what this case is about. This case is about the Palestinians taking America to court right for deciding that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel right right so so here's what he says so when a reporter asked him about what he had to say about the state of Palestine right because the United Nations recognizes the state of Palestine the United Nations the United does, Nations right. recognizes the state of Palestine says John Bolton so so a reporter's like why did you refer to Palestine as a so-called state? As no, as a so-called the the so-called as a so-called state, right? right, right. Not right. as a state, but as a so-called state, right? And then John Bolton goes, "It's accurate. It is not a state." And here's what he says: "It's not a state now. It does not meet the customary international law test of statehood. It doesn't control defined boundaries. It doesn't fulfill the normal functions of government. There's a whole host of reasons why it is not a state." It could become a state, as the president has said, but that requires diplomatic negotiations with Israel and others. Um, but you know, Ishai. Wait, 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 yes, wait, wait. Yes. Let, let, okay. let me let me go. make a very important. Maka, here we go. Maka, buckle in for just I'm a buckling. second. Okay. <laughs> buckle the mind in for a second. Remember what we talked about in that song, La Shivat Kvod Adam, to return the honor of mankind. Yes. Comes John Bolton and says, "These terrorists are hijacking something else today." Not airplanes. They're hijacking the international arena. They're utilizing this international system, these international courts, to bludgeon us, to hit us, and to really... Destroy. Destroy and take away the, the truth and the beauty of America's recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. This isn't real. These guys don't have a real basis in law. This is all a lie. And they're using these fancy ties and fancy, you know, Hague and fancy ICJ and all this to do what? To, to hijack the world, to kidnap, to, to lie, to lie to our face and waste everybody's time. Comes John Bolton and says, we out. We're not part of this thing. And he did, in my mind, this statement is like, maybe not to the level, but like, those great fighters in 1976 who went out to Uganda and rescued those hostages. He's pulling out, and he says he's pulling... Well, the President Trump is pulling out. That's right. Bolton's just announcing the, okay, it. Okay. There's a very strong administration behind him. I'm saying, I'm saying this is a big deal, okay? And it sends an unbelievable signal to these terrorists. You will not win. You will not win. And I, I think that... 
I think that we human beings, not to mention Jews and Israelis and pro-Israel people, owe a great debt of gratitude right now to this administration for starting to really clean up this world, this world that's been hijacked, this international community that has been hijacked by, by these terrorists, these terrorists, so-called Palestinian state, when truth is, so-called, what it is is a jihad terrorist alliance. And I think that there's something uh, uh, amazing going on here. And this, by the way, is I, I want to say something very strongly, which may seem not important right now, but I'll try to explain it either now or later, whatever, which is this is not to undermine the importance of globalism in other aspects. Okay, I, I think that there's something very beautiful happening right now, and especially for Israel, that the world, that the world has gone global. And I think it's actually very important for Israel's economy and for Israel's psychological welfare that we're actually back out and, and, and touching the world, which is what the Jewish people do naturally. And we'll talk about that maybe a different time. I, I, I underestimated how much time we'd uh, use on the rest of this. But, but the bottom line, I, I think it's important to understand that there's a beautiful phenomenon of globalism, but that doesn't mean that we have to give up our governance to who the heck knows who okay, right. out, out there. So that's a great story, Monk. I want to thank you very much. I want to also wish you a Shana Tova because really the Shana Tova starts now. It starts now. So I want to wish you a Shana Tova and we're coming into Shabbat Bereshit. Yes. Okay, which is really which is really new beginnings. Anyone who has not been keeping up with the weekly Torah portion, now's your time to that's get started. Right. And on everything. What about keeping up on your exercise? What about keeping up on your Torah study? What about keeping up on your giving your uh, kids the more attention that they need? This is we're starting the year now. This this is it. The year starts now. It starts now. So that's the you know bang. That's the gun. Uh, uh, the race begins. And I want to wish you a great a great and successful and happy new year, full of health, happiness, uh, domestic tranquility, uh, and uh, and success in uh, in raising your children, and success in in seeing Eretz Israel flourish once again. Thank you, Ishai, and the same to you. I hope that you have a lot of successes. And joys, and that you can see things in a in a beautiful that that everything looks beautiful in front of you, and that you have lots of good friends and good times and good food and and good Torah learning. Thanks for throwing in the good food thing, Monica. It's important. I appreciate it. I do appreciate it. I also wanna uh, I also wanna mention that we have uh, great donors who make this show possible. Uh, please go to yishayfleischer dot com. Hit the donate button. Our recurring donors make a tremendous difference. And there's a lot of them that just, without them, the show wouldn't go on. So the show must go on, and they help it go on. So thank you very much. Please uh, join those who have already been, been part of, the, of this effort. And we, we really do a lot more than we do this radio show and, and many other projects. Uh, our flag page is coming right up, Malka. We're yes, going to finish the text. It's going to be really exciting. You guys don't understand what a, what a cool opportunity is coming up to own, thi- own pieces of Israeli history, really. That's right. Own a real statement of Jewish pride and strength in the land of Israel. And fly it, baby. Fly, fly, it. I just fly got, it wherever you are. I just got an email from uh, friends who uh, donated to the flag project, mm-hmm. got their own giant flag that you, Malka Fleischer, sent out to them. Right. And you know what? It was a wall of their sukkah. Because the, some of the flags, not all, but some of the flags are absolutely huge. Okay? <laughs> they are so, so large that when we try to fold them in our living room, which is not a tiny living room, we can't. Right. And we have to go outside and fold it outside because it is, it's impossible to furl it out the length of our living room. Furl it out. Very is good. that the right? Did I, I say the I right don't know. words? I don't know. I don't know, but I like it. 
John Bolton. John Bolton. Not Michael. Okay, here we go. A last thing I want to say is we have other sponsors. Our good friends at Tchela, T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T. You know Baruch Sturman, who is really one of the heads of the Tchela organization and wrote the book, The Rarest Blue. He, he he let me send out I sent he sent out directly from himself five copies, five or six copies of people that emailed. A few people emailed later. I don't I don't think that they're gonna get that prize, but I'll but I'll There'll be put more out, prizes. I'll be putting out more prizes soon and they got the Tchelet, uh T E K H E L E T, True Blue Jew. Maka had a show called Jet Blue Jew a few weeks ago. That was ago. cool. Yeah, but the True Blue Jew you could be that. A lot of women have asked, and I've told Baruch Sturman that we need a women's product, like, for example, a Tchelet Shetel, okay? Uh, no, people, no, that was a joke, but people have asked for a, for a, for a Tchelet women's product of some kind. Why? Because they want to be in it. Because they want to be in it. They just want to be in it. Can't they get a Tchelet earring? Can't oh, Tchelet, like little fringy earrings? Yes, that's what I'm saying. That's interesting. Yeah, something cool like that. Hmm. Just a thing like that, or or a bracelet, like I uh, bracelet. I I too am trellet, like oh. me too trellet. Wait, don't go there. Just joking. Everybody relax. Everybody relax. Reverse. Delete what I just said. Anyway, so <laughs> there was that. The other thing is, uh, finally, folks, just just laugh. Everything's okay. I know in America we forget to laugh sometimes. Uh, l- lastly, I want to speaking of uh, of of laughing between the mothers and the fathers. Uh, our good uh, uh, the the good offices of the Hebron Fund. Make sure that you can go. And that, and that hundreds of thousands of people can go to Hebron. Malka, I want to tell you something. Hebron, not an easy place to get to, really. Uh, it's an hour out of Jerusalem. It's also not so hard. Here's my point. I wanted to make a point, which is I was setting it up as a, as a softball for myself to hit, which is we had 150,000 people come from Rosh Chodesh Elul till the end of the wow. game. And we're going to have another 40,000 people coming. Chai Sarah. So I think a good estimation is about 200,000 people. And if you're coming come. for Chai Sarah... We'll see you there. We'll see you there. We'll see you at Chayasara in Hebron. And please join us. Come fly into Tel Aviv. Go visit Jerusalem. Kiss the wall. Hope for a bigger, for a temple. And then come head down south. See the mamas and the papas for Chayasara, where we read about the incredible fathers and mothers, where we read about the first purchase of the land of Israel, and we will meet the incredible heroes that keep the place open. Maka Flesh, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank here you very much for having in me. Judea. On. Yes. Judea. Okay. God bless you folks. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected wherever you are. And Shabbat Shalom. Have a great Sabbath and also great new beginnings on this Parshat Bereshit, the beginnings of the world. Shalom. You're listening to the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com. Broadcasting the truth and beauty of Israel to the world.